0: Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, for leading us in our worship. So good to see each and every one of you through this difficult time, and we continue to pray for God's grace and mercy to bring this pandemic to an end, but more than that, the lessons that He wants us to learn from all that He ordains in life. And so by God's grace, we are listening to God's Word in the book of Exodus. And today we want to begin by asking the question from beginning to end, how far Will you go for someone or something you love? So ponder that. How far will you go for something or someone you love? To what limits will you go to do something? So, Jesus Angel Garcia has made Olympic history. And his name, Jesus, Jesus Angel Garcia, has made Olympic history. You know why? He's the first person to compete in eight summer olympics he qualified and competed in eight summer olympics in the 50 kilometers big walk and this year in tokyo was his final one he was also the oldest sports person at 51 years old eight just think about it He's spanish a spaniard his biggest moment was this and uh, Imagine the hard work, the discipline, the pain that you go through to qualify for eight Olympics. Eight times four, 32, it's about 30 years. We, we were so concerned that Joseph schooling might not make it for a second time. You think it's, it's for the love of the sport, it's for the love of the glory of his country that has gone through the regime, the discipline, the pain that sports people go through To accomplish something in life. So, how far has Jesus' angel Garcia, the Spaniard, gone for his love? About 30 years of hard work. Nakio is a mixed-breed dog from Nebraska. Very sadly for this mixed-breed dog in Nebraska. It was born astray and then it was abandoned, and in the depth of winter. It was stuck in a frostbite in a cellar. And from the frostbite, this puppy lost all its four limbs and part of its tail. It was rescued by a woman called Christine Page, Christy Page, who had worked for a vet. vet, And she raised enough money to replace the dog's back legs. Very expensive. But she couldn't afford the front legs. And so this... this, uh, U.S. company called AutoPads furnished finish her to put two front legs. And so he's the first dog with four prosthetic legs. They call him the bionic dog. Now he can do all the things that dogs like to do. right? Run around, play around. And <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. There's nothing more life-changing than to see people go through the lengths we go to to give something or someone a new start? How far will you go to give someone a new start, to give them the fullness of life? And so this once abandoned dog is now an inspirational dog because it's learned how to walk, how to run, how to live fully as a redeemed redeemed dog. Which leads us to how far do you think God will go to save Israel from idolatry and lead them to worship? That is the issue we want to address. How far will God's, Israel's God called Yahweh go to lead them out of idolatry and to lead them to worship? If we ask that question, we need to ask the next one How far will God's people go to reject idolatry? and to worship the true and the living God. And those two questions, how far will God go to rescue His people from idolatry and lead them to worship? How far will Israel go to reject idolatry themselves and to worship the true and living God? Both will be answered in Exodus 23 and 24. So we pick up the story from here. See, I'm sending an angel ahead of you to, to guard you along the way. And to bring you to the place that I have prepared, pay attention to him, listen to what he says, do not rebel against him, he will not forgive your rebellion, since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says, and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. And so, when you read this portion, what do we get? We need to understand the story so far to really grasp any passage of Scripture of any incident of God working in the life of His people and working through the life of His people for the world. So the story up to this point runs along this line. Exodus 1 to 14, 15, thereabouts. It's all about God saving His people from 430 years of slavery in Egypt. He rescues them and the pivotal event is the Passover, the Passover, which is now to be celebrated in Israel's life, and then the Exodus, where he parts the Red Sea and drowns the army of Pharaoh and Egypt. From Exodus 15 onwards, they journey to where God told them to meet. He will meet them. They journey to Mount Sinai, which is the entrance to the Promised Land. And this is vitally important. And then at Exodus 19, where we picked up the story In the second part of our series here, Israel as a nation meets God. Meets God for what? Meets God to be drawn, invited into a very special relationship that no other other nation is invited to. What kind of relationship? It's called a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. And what's the covenant relationship? This is a distinct, standalone, exclusive relationship between the true and the living God and the one nation, He's chosen to pour out His love to. And after He pours out His love, His forgiveness to this one nation, this nation will be used by Him to pour out His love to all the nations of the world in His time. And so by Exodus 20, the law is given. And the law is literally the ten words of God, translated in the English, ten commandments, But ten words is more literal and more accurate. And in the ten words, it can be summarized into two main words or two main commandments. You shall love Yahweh alone, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Expression of this. We call this the blueprint of what it means for Israel to be in a covenant relationship with the true living and holy God. Then from Exodus 21 to the first part of chapter 23, we get... God's legislation. The the fine print. If the 10 words were the blueprint, the big picture, 21 to 23 is the fine print. If this happens between you and your neighbor, then you should do this. If this happens between you and your slave, then you should do this. If this happens between you and a woman, then you should do this. If you accidentally kill somebody, this is what you have to do. This is what it means to live as the holy, distinct people of God. Now, we pick up the storyline from Exodus 23, verse 20 onwards. At the last part of Exodus 23, there's a very strange, very strange being called an angel. That God will guard his, and the angel of God will guard God's people all the way from Mount Sinai into the promised land. And basically, the assurances in the words of what we've been saying from the Prime Minister, come rain, come shine, we will get there. Come rain, come shine, we will learn to live with COVID-19 and get out of this. That's our human pronouncements. But when God says He will send this angel to Israel's life, and this angel will guard her path from Mount Sinai into the Promised Land, and you ask yourself, Who is this angel? Who is this angel? Whatever you do not know, you remember the Bible passage that was read out, that you read. You have to pay careful attention and to obey the angel's voice. For you pay careful attention, obey the angel's voice, you carefully obey his voice, and then you carefully obey God's voice. So when you listen to this, when the angel speaks, the Lord speaks. Is the Lord the angel, the angel the Lord? Much ink has been spilt on this, but could very well be. And then we read this. What? In verse 27, I will send my terror ahead of you. So in the first few verses, I will send my angel. And now I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. And so, the angel goes before Israel. Now the terror goes before Israel. And when the terror goes ahead of Israel, it is the Lord who terrorizes the nations out of the promised land. It's difficult to know the true meaning of this. And we ask ourselves this question, could it be Yahweh Who is this? Could it be Yahweh who is the unfailing presence of the angel who will take Israel securely into the land? Could it be Yahweh who is the unfailing terror of God that will drive out Israel's many enemies from the land? And the two things are totally related. Unless their enemies are driven from the land, Israel cannot possess the land and worship God in that land. And from beginning to end, the messages. if we ask the question, how far will God go to rescue Israel from idolatry and bring her into a true worship of the true and the living God, this is how far He will go. The angel and the terror that is here. If this is true, right, God was saying to them in chapter 23, After I've given you the law, the blueprint, after I've given you the fine print of what it means to be for you to be my holy people, worshiping in a covenant relationship with the holy God, I will grace you all the way. I will grace you all the way from what? I will grace you all the way with my unfailing presence and my unfailing power. And Israel is never to forget that God's unfailing presence with them and God's unfailing, unmatched power to drive out any enemy that stands in the way of his purposes. And once we understand that, okay, Israel now meets a God whom she knows cognitively will go all the way to bless her. She might know this here, but whether she will live it affectionately in her life, whether she will live it practically in her life, is a totally different story. Which leads us to ask the second part of the question that we started with. How far must Israel go to be God's faithful covenant partner? And how far must Israel go to be God's faithful covenant partner? God tells her without any reservations. It's as clear as day. You want to read this together with me? To be connected with God's Word. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. This is how, Israel, how far Israel is to go. What is she to do? As God said at the start of the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The actual word that should be in front there. Thou shalt not have any fake gods, human gods. Men imagine gods, you imagined gods for your security, for your identity, for your sexuality, for your destiny. Don't you dare do that because I, Yahweh, am the true and the living God. And so from Egypt that she was rescued from to Canaan where God will bring her the promised land, Israel will face a powerful temptation. Let me ask you, what's the most powerful temptation you have faced the last week? Some of you will say chocolate. Some of you will say ice cream. Some of you will say gaming non-stop. Some of you will say hometown cha-cha-cha. Some of you will say squid game. Some of you, <laughs> what's the most powerful temptation? Idolatry. From Egypt to Canaan, the powerful temptation of man-made idols, which they can see and touch, tangible. And all the other nations will say, "This idols that we have, These idols are the ones that bring us prosperity. These idols are the ones who bring us fertility of the womb and give us children. These idols are the ones that give us health and breath of life. And when Israel enters the Promised Land, Canaan, she will find nation after nation after nation after nation that is full of tangible idols. As she holds on to an unseen, invisible God and an intangible God, and all she has of her God is His Word. I mean, God, could you not give us a more substantial evidence that you are God? Maybe you can be a bigger statue than all the statues of all the Canaanites. And That was the powerful temptation. Every other thing that promises you happiness in life is visible, is touchable, is ex- experiential. But for Israel, all she has to hang on to is the Word of God. And she experiences God through His Word. And that's why the most important thing for you, if you call yourself as a person of God, is your ability to listen. What have you listened to the last week? And we'll touch on that a little bit more. And so He has forbidden them to make an idol of any other thing. So, how will God's unfailing presence and unfailing terror drive out the idolaters? His unfailing presence, His unfailing power, He will drive them out. What will He do to the other nations? Notice, firstly, He will cause panic among them. And when you panic as a people, it will cause confusion. And why? Because everybody has their own idea out of a crisis, out of this. And then, Slowly, to the panic and confusion of the nations, Israel will take possession of the land. Gradually, one by one, assuredly, and then completely, if they listen to the voice of the angel, if they listen to the voice of God. That's how he will do it. And then how does chapter 23 end? As God speaks of this angel and this terror that will go before Israel, It ends this way. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. You cannot sit on the fence between idols and the worship of God. It's all in with idolatry or all in in the worship of the true and the living God. And so, how far must Israel go in a faith with God? Israel runs sisters in Christ. Israel must do this. She must love and trust God to the exclusion of all others. That's the very character and nature of God and covenant love. To the exclusion of all others. So when a Christian couple gets married and make their vows, the vows that you make for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, and actually you should add in, uh, in terms of snoring, for louder, for softer, right? for whatever differences, right? till death do us part, it's a vow that you will love your God-given husband and wife to the exclusion of all others. It will draw a tight circle around you as husband and wife. No one intrudes into that circle that is under God ruling your hearts. So you need to ask a covenant question as you listen to this. How much does Israel, how much will Israel trust in God's unfailing presence and power to deliver them from self-rescue at every point, self-wisdom at every point, self-sufficient at every point, into the worship of God who will meet all their needs who will provide for them, who will protect them, who will bless them. How much do you trust God's unfailing love? Will Israel choose between thus says the Lord or thus says my circumstances? You know the track record up to this point from chapter from, from uh, the time she was rescued was thus says the circumstances. Did you bring us out here to die from thirst? Did you bring us out here to die from hunger? Did you bring us out here to die from raiding enemies against us? And the answer of God to them, No, I didn't lead you out here to die from thirst. It seems like you will die from thirst. It feels like you will die from thirst. I surely didn't lead you out here to die from famine, from hunger. It seems like you're going to die from hunger. It seems like. What seems like from your circumstances is is different to what will really be if you trust in God. So you choose, Israel, whether you're going to grumble all the way into the promised land or whether you're going to trust God all the way to the promised land. You know Israel's story, right? They grumble all the way into the promised land. And actually, that's not true. Because they grumble all the way into the promised land, they don't enter that land. They don't settle into that land. And so let's ask the question for ourselves whether it was gods people in the old testament or whether it's gods people in the new testament we are relating to we are putting faith and obedience in the same god it's just two different parts of his salvation purposes and so can i ask you how much do you trust god's unfailing presence and power to deliver you from yourself from yourself providence from yourself from yourself rescue in things and so uh, a good brother in crisis, come from overseas to work as a doctor. He works as an anesthetist. I can't even pronounce that properly. The, the one who puts you to sleep if you go for an operation. Right? And so he has two kids and he was trying to find, um, because he's come from overseas to work, he's trying to find a, a school for his, his son and to enroll him in, a, in an international school. And they found one or two places. that said that possibly very high chance they'll get a place in the school. And then when it came almost to the time of registration, enrollment, no vacancies, totally full for the first one. So he quickly went to the next one. The other school also fell through and he started to get desperate. You get a bit desperate, right? When your children can't get into a school, when children can't get into a job, it's very understandable. It's very father and mother. And so he's desperate, but it was his duty this day. Uh, it was a joy, actually, to bring his son for his martial arts practice. And then as he stood there, his mind still preoccupied with, oh, Lord, what's cool should I get him in? Uh, there's nowhere now. Everything is full. He stood beside this stranger and he was chatting with him, of course, behind masks. He was chatting with this stranger. And somehow the stranger, as they talked, 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 and all of a sudden the stranger just said to him that the person just met, "Say, I just went for an operation. And then I met a very strange anesthetist. He said, what's what was so strange about your anaesthetist? Oh, he, he, before he put me to sleep, he played some music for me. And this brother in Christ from ERPC pulled out his mic and said, I am your anaesthetist. <laughs> and they met doctor and patient who they met in the OT, but he, could, he couldn't see who he was. And as they got to talking, talking a bit more, and then this stranger whom he just met who was his patient that he put to sleep in an operation that he played some music for. Right? His son was going to an international school and his son's school had a vacancy. I, I rang this brother up to find out about something else. And then he said to me, I must tell you this, I must tell you this, I must tell you, so I must tell you this. This is the same true and living God. And we are the same people of God. Of course, let's move on now and we will finish, of course with the blood of Jesus saving us. But the challenge is the same. How much do you trust God's unfailing presence and power to rescue you from idolatry? Idolatry means I will worry my way out of this. Worry is your self-rescue. I will plot my way out of this. I will scheme my way out of this. I will network my way out of this. This networking he had with a stranger to find his son a place was a networking God gave to him. No amount of networking would have gotten him in that place. So I ask myself, I ask you, do you trust? How much do you trust? In God's unfailing presence, He said He will never leave Israel. He will journey with them, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He will now journey with them from this point onwards with the tent in the tabernacle. And that's vitally important the unfailing presence of God and the unfailing power. What for be present, but not be able to do anything? The two things must go together. See, so you know my late mother lived with me. We looked after her for about 20 over years. My mother wanted to help us with so many things. But by the time the children came, my mother was already in her 80s. And as much as she wanted to look after my children, sometimes help them, prevent them from falling, she couldn't carry them. No matter how loving or sincere she was in her love and her care, she physically couldn't do the care. So her her unfailing presence was there, but she had no unfailing love, unfailing power. God promises his people unfailing presence and power to deliver us from idolatry as he takes us into the worship of him. And so, where do we stand? And that leads us to Exodus 24. If Exodus 23 is to assure Israel, this is how far Yahweh will go for His people to worship Him. His unfailing presence, His unmatched power. Then Exodus 24 is about how far God will go to overcome His people's failure to keep the covenant and to be His covenant people. And the two things are vitally important. This is all about God's, God's faithfulness. And this is going to be all about Israel's unfaithfulness to keep the covenant and obey his voice. To keep the covenant and obey his voice. And so you read this in starting. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You have to worship at this distance. But Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. If you're reading this and unpacking this, this is about, God said he'll meet that at Mount Sinai. He'll meet that at the top of Mount Sinai, and the top of the, on the mountains is often the meeting point between the gods and the people, except now it's the true and the living God and his chosen covenant people. As you read this, you are teaching this to Sunday school, teaching this to basic Right? those who entered year one in basic, what, what would you say? The, the access to God. There seems to be three levels, right? Three groups of people are called to meet God. And there are three levels of approachability. There are three levels of intimacy. And what are the three levels? The people shall not come up. Number one, Moses, Aaron, his sons, and the 70 elders, they can worship from afar. But Moses alone can come near to the Lord. Whatever we do not get, we get this. We are now entering, we are now entering, we are now entering into a shopping mall. No, friends. We are now entering, entering into a dining place. Show me your vaccination. We are now entering, entering into the presence of the Holy God. You approach God on His terms. You lack, you are deficient in holiness. That's the end of you. There is no entry. So it's a very important one when I first read this in a commentary that my lecturer produced on on Hebrews that reflects a lot on Exodus. We like to think as modern day Christians or through 2,000 years of church history, history that worship is what we do to God, for God. Worship is firstly what God does for us. To make the worship of Him possible. Worship is dictated and determined by God. So get the theology right. Many songs today don't get this right. Worship is firstly what the Holy God does to bring you into acceptable fellowship and relationship with Him. If God doesn't do this, you will never be able to approach Him without being struck dead by Him. And now we're going to explain. Why? Because in an outline here it plays out this way. It begins here. We call this what do you call this? A chiism, right? A technical phrase when you read the Bible, right? So you just spell my surname, Chia, C H I A, and S, and add S M at the end. Chiism, not Chiaism. Eh? It's chiism, and chiism is two things that mirror each other, and there's a pivot in the middle. So the pivot is C1, C2, the heart of the matter. So Moses, Aaron, his sons, and the 70 elders can approach. And then it ends with Moses, Aaron, and the elders can approach. Can you see A1, A2? And B1, the people pledge their obedience. And B2, the people pledge their obedience again at verse 7 and 8. And so God is making His covenant and sealing His covenant. You now know me as the Holy God, and this is how we seal the covenant. The altar and the tabernacle will be a symbol of God's holy presence. This altar and this tabernacle is a symbol that God wants to have fellowship with you. And then this covenant is confirmed by blood. And why by blood? So God's holiness is experienced in Israel's life in our life by what? God's holiness is firstly experienced in Israel's life by two things. By grace and by law. He graces, He saves His people first, right? Through the Exodus. He graces them, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to Myself. Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 to 5. I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to Myself. That the great goal of redemption is relationship with the true and the living God. Then grace, He graces them to keep the law. They don't keep the law to earn God's grace. Israel got that wrong. He graces them to keep the law and the law has the blueprint and the law has the fine print. And this is very important because this relationship is a very dangerous relationship. I want to ask you, all 80, 90 of us seated here, you experience dangerous relationships? What are dangerous relationships? Oh, might as well say, hometown cha-cha-cha star, Kim Seon ho and his ex-girlfriend. She made the allegation he forced her to abort a child. Now she regrets seeing his career and his life collapse. And I'm quoting. What do you call that kind of relationship? You wrong me, I wrong you. You wrong me, I wrong you. It's bottomless, it's limitless, it's bottomless, it's limitless. What we can do to each other. That's a dangerous relationship. And then here in Singapore, something that's lighted up our, our social media is the Night Owl, right? There are YouTubers who have a huge following here in Singapore and how they fell out as a couple and how they fell out in their business. And my goodness, they are all dangerous relationships. No, the most dangerous relationship is the relationship between the Holy God and you and me. The most dangerous relationship you could contemplate entering It's a relationship between the Holy God and you and me as rebels and sinners. And why is this relationship the most dangerous relationship? Incomparable. Because our rebellion and sin is 100% totally offensive towards the Holy God. And God's holiness is then a threat and danger to our sinfulness. A threat and danger to our pride. A threat and danger to to our self. Our self-sufficiency, our self-redemption, our self-rescue. Our self-wisdom and our self-glory. So how do you ever start on this dangerous relationship? This dangerous relationship, for it to be started, for it to be kept, for it to be consummated, needs blood. And that's why Exodus 24 is very important. Why blood? Because blood is a symbol of cleansing from sin and simultaneously the blood of an unblemished animal for Israel's life with God is to make atonement to make her the holy people of God. Did you notice if you understand the true and living God reaching out to save a world that has turned it it's back on Him. You and me who have turned our backs on Him. Did you notice for Israel, it was blood sprinkled on the doorposts while they were in Egypt. Sprinkled on the doorpost once off that in one sense began their covenant relationship with God. How? By sparing them from God's wrath in Egypt. And God's wrath fell on Pharaoh and the firstborn for trusting in their idols. And you, Israel, are not to follow that. It was the blood sprinkle on doorposts once off that kicked off their covenant relationship, freeing them from idolatry of Egypt to the worship of God at Mount Sinai into the Promised Land. And from this point onwards, it will be blood sprinkled regularly at the altar in the tabernacle and on the people that will keep them in the covenant. Without the blood for cleansing, without the blood for atoning, and the declaring of them innocent before God, Israel would never, never, ever survive being covenant partners of a covenant-making God. That's the importance of it that is here. And so the tabernacle system, right? Tabernacle means temporary tentage system before the permanent temple in Jerusalem. Altar on the outside, right, symbolizing God's people are saved by grace. Ark on the inside, they are grace to keep God's law, because in the ark are copies of the Ten Commandments and the the blueprint and the fine print. So you could say the full-blooded love of God, full-blooded love of God demands the full-hearted obedience of God's people. Or if you want to use blood blood, the full-blooded love of God demands the full-blooded obedience of God's people. That's why this relationship is at a simultaneously the most dangerous. But if it's God who acts to begin it and to keep it and to consummate it, is the most secure relationship. But left to Israel, left to us to keep it, we will never keep it. And so the tabernacle where they had to regularly, ritually repeat the sprinkling of blood, is a little bit, hey, this pandemic is so good. Lah. Right? This pandem- pandemic and mass and vaccination, the, you know, the regular sprinkling of blood it's like you have to go for a booster jab. Lah. Right? Because it's the same old rebellion against God, but the old rebellion, the deep-down rebellion of Israel, of you and me, will always have new faces, new expressions. They're going to grumble all the way. They grumble all the way to Mount Sinai. And from Mount Sinai here, they're going to fumble all the way in not keeping the ten words, the blueprint and the f- and the fine print. And their rebellion and their and their self-rescue will find more and more deadly variants. And you're going to find a deadly variance in Exodus 32 when they build the golden calf. You thought all that grumbling was bad enough, but that is nothing that is kindergarten compared to what they will do when they build the golden calf thinking that it is that that will save them. It is that that will guarantee them. And just to get it right about the importance of blood, the blood, the power is not in the blood of the unblemished lamb. The power, the efficaciousness is in God. It's in God's heart. It's in God's character that He mercifully chose one nation Not because she was more deserving, not because she was more numerous, not because she was more more, more meritorious. He chose her because He chose her. That's how a dangerous relationship became the safest relationship. So the power is not in the blood, the symbol of the blood. The power is in God and His heart and His character. That holiness rightly stands Him apart from us. And yet it is balanced with his mercy to draw us deep, intimately into a relationship with him. So I'm sure you've read about some countries. I've not come across an encounter here, in our papers, in our media at least, of what? That in some countries, people are faking their vaccination uh, certs, right? They're faking their vaccination status to go to places that they can't go in if they were not vaccinated. So, to get to a dining place, to get to a shopping mall, you know, you can do that, right? It's so clever, people, are, uh. so clever. We're ingenious at, at sinning. There's no end to our sinning, bottomless, limitless. You may fool others that you're eligible, that you're, that you're qualified, you're safe enough to enter. But the reckless reality, you are a grave danger to yourself and you are grave danger to others, even though you got a fake vaccination cert. The fatal delusion is if you convince yourself you don't need God's rescue. If you convince yourself you don't need the blood of the Lamb of God. If you convince yourself you don't need Jesus to escape from the virus and the pandemic of sin and the virus and pandemic of death. And that's fatal delusion, friends. You can fake it with morality. You can fake it with charity. You can fake it with ministry. You can fake it with titles. You can fake it with, I've I've been a Christian for so long, I was born into a Christian family. But all those things are fake vaccination certs. We remain as offensive to God and He remains a permanent threat to us. So how far will God go? Not simply to save Israel from idolatry to lead her to the worship of Him. How far will God go to save you, Paul? To save you, Wilfred? To save you, Huyen? To save Jason? To save Chris? To save all of us from idolatry? into the worship of God. And you know the answer is, it must be Jesus. It must be Jesus. And so it says in Hebrews, how much more then, Hebrews 9, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, that we might serve the living God. What is it you can do that will turn away the wrath of God and will cleanse you, not just externally in your body, but cleanse your consciences before God? Only the blood of Jesus sprinkle on you to make you the holy people of God. So as we listen to Exodus 23-24 and run the storyline of redemption, all the way to Jesus, I want you to take time to ponder what? I want you to take time to ponder the depth of Jesus' love. The horrors of Jesus' death for you, for me. Put your name after Jesus. The depth of Jesus' love for me, Alicia, Janice. The depth of Jesus' love for me, The death of Jesus' love for me. The horrors of His death for me. And So it's important that we love Him to the exclusion of all others. Because Jesus has loved and obeyed the Father and loved and died for the church to the exclusion of all others. Every time you sin, we offend the Lord Jesus Christ. Agree? Want me to say that again as we end? Every time you sin in thought, in word, and deed, you bring this honour to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so remember that abandoned dog in Nebraska, Nakio, Nakio, right? And here's Nakio, if I can find Nakio. Right? Here's Nakio with his four prosthetic legs. And it was quoted in an article, I don't know who actually said this, right? whether it's the owner of Nakio. If you don't cry when you see Nakio running around, playing, maybe you need a prosthetic heart for the life of me. Right? How about we trick this around to it be a gospel statement. If you don't cry when you see Jesus bleeding, dying on the cross for you, you probably need a prosthetic heart. And that's true unless God gives you a new heart, unless He takes the initiative, unless He does it, you will never have a new heart that will believe in God's unchanging love for you. In God's undeserved love for you and I. And That's vitally important. And so, it's all in. God is all in for us. Are we all in for Him as covenant partners? And it could be expressed in different ways. I'm looking at my phone just to find a a prayer that I got um, from one of our youth sent through one of our leaders. Let me try and find it. And the youth are told by their leaders in BASIC, our youth group, right? To send in their thanksgiving and their prayers. And this is the prayers of one of our youth. Thank God that my mother is tested negative for COVID, number one. Number two, pray that the COVID situation will decrease in Singapore and all around the world, including ICU and oxygen support. Number three, pray that COVID deaths will stop increasing in Singapore because now Singapore death, uh, the deaths in Singapore is very high compared to last year. Number four, pray that Singapore and other countries will return back to normalcy as soon as possible as the situation gets better and vaccination rates are very high. Number five, pray that the government will be able to find a proper variant Vaccine like the Delta variant vaccine. Number six, pray that I'll do well in my upcoming um, presentation for internship. Pray that I would number seven, pray that I'll do well for my upcoming practicals and theory tests. Number eight, thank God that my assignment is over for one of my modules. That's not too bad. What do you think this youth was expressing? He takes God and prayer to God and trusting Jesus rather seriously in his life. And he could list down eight prayer points in detail. Do you? Or is yours and mine just a generic, thank you Lord for this day, thank you for the food, thank you for protecting me, amen, see you tomorrow. That kind of prayer even a non-Christian can pray. Just prayer for wellness and goodness. But prayer prayer to surrender every area of my life. So Jesus has given all to us. We are to give all to Him. Our prayers in some small window express whether we are giving everything of our daily lives to Him. So what does it mean? There may be a sin for you to confess. There might be an idol for you to give up as you listen to this message. This very day, this very week, before the year ends, can you settle the idolatry that stands in the way of the worship of Jesus? Could there be a relationship that God wants you to write that has gone wrong? A person that has, you need to forgive? A person you need to reconcile? In all of these things, do you need to step up in discipleship and join us for class ARPC? And not just be a pew warmer and a Sunday tune into service anytime you like type. That belonging to Jesus, following Jesus is the most precious thing in your life. I'm going to encourage your children to go to basic camp. And basic care is the spiritual feast in highlight for the year. If you are a woman, whether you are married or single, that you are not going to trust in your own wisdom to handle your finances, that you don't trust your husband. You're going to learn about faith and finance. You're going to sign up for that. Or maybe you should join up for the missions retreat. Am I bringing it across to you enough? That all the announcements that we make are not simply for you to, they are for you to grab hold, jump into, There could be something here that's part of me surrendering my life, loving Jesus, being consumed by Him more and more. Our theme for the year is back to basics, back to Jesus. In fact, I think this should be our theme for the next three years until we really get back to Jesus for everything. Your life and my life is dangerous. But your life and my life can move from most dangerous to most safe and secure if you trust completely in the grace of God and the blood of Jesus to cleanse you, atone you and to make you to be the holy people of God. Amen. We are going to stand and pray together as the music team comes up. At times we ask the wrong questions. How far will you go for us? Can you assure us in your word in your love story for Israel, the nation that you chose so that the gospel will go from one nation to all nations, you are a God who will go the distance. Go the distance not simply to initiate the relationship, but to keep the relationship and to bring it to all its fullness. And we thank you that you have done that, Heavenly Father, by the very, by the very precious sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We admit and we confess, like Israel, that there's nothing within us, in our weak hearts and our feeble hearts and our fickle hearts, that will keep us as faithful covenant partners. But it's your grace from beginning to end that will start this and complete this and cover us whenever we fall short. And you made sure of that through the altar, through the tabernacle. And we thank you that your Son, the Lord Jesus, is the perfect, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest, the perfect temple. And to him we turn and we pray increasingly, Lord, increasingly, Lord, to surrender every area of our life. For some of us, it's to surrender more and more of our lives in prayer to you. That nothing is too big, nothing is too small, that you will stop us from worry, stop us from paralyzing anxiety, stop us from taking things to our own hands. For some of us, is that one idol, that one person, that one thing that we have to give up. We need to give up. We need to surrender. That stands in the way of the worship of you, Lord Jesus. For some of us, it may be a relationship that has been wrong. That needs to be righted. As we look to Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. In the mighty name we pray, always for your glory. Amen.